This morning, as we continue in our series about uh, God's Spirit, our advantage for His advancement, and we're going to be in Acts chapter 6, I've entitled our our sermon, um, Gifted for Ministry. And as we we jump into Acts 6, we're jumping back into um, the early church, right after the, the founding of the church, after Jesus Christ had gone to the cross and shed His blood for our sins, was buried, rose again from the dead. Uh, he, uh, when he, after his resurrection, he was here with his disciples, uh, training them up and preparing them for the ministry again. And then after his ascension, he said, wait until the Holy Spirit has come. It is better, he says, it is better for you, it is to your advantage that I go away so that my spirit will come and be with you and uh, empower us. And so as the Holy Spirit came on uh, the day of Pentecost and filled uh, the, the believers and dwelt them to go and, and spread the gospel uh, the early church took form. And as Peter began to preach, uh, thousands of people accepted Christ and came into the church. And as we uh, begin to go chapter by chapter, we see that the Holy Spirit continues to move through his people for the advancement of the gospel, and many people are added to the church. And so really, uh, as, as uh, Luke wrote Acts, he said, um, he talked about the gospels were the, how Jesus began to teach, and throughout Acts in the New Testament, we see that Jesus is still teaching his church through the Holy Spirit. And really, so the Acts is the Acts of Jesus Christ through his servants, uh, through the power of the Holy Spirit, that we are participating in what the Holy Spirit is doing, because each of us uh, in the church have been gifted for ministry. Um, and so, and I'm, I'm, I, I often tell the youth group, that when Jesus saves us, he doesn't save us to isolation, but he saves us to community. That we are saved to be part of the church, the body of Christ, and to, uh, to participate in that. And so as we begin to look at Acts chapter 6 today, um, I hope that we will be challenged and encouraged to see from lessons from the early church how they directly apply to our lives, and we will see how we can employ the gifts that God has given us uh, for his glory. Uh, with that, let's uh, read Acts chapter 6 in its entirety. It's on page 914 in the Bibles provided. And we'll uh, begin in verse 1. Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables... Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, uh, a proselyte of Antioch. And they, these they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. And Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. Then some of those who belonged to the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, and of the Cyrenians, and of the Alexandrians, and of those from... Cilicia and Asia rose up and disputed with Stephen, but they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. 
Then they secretly instigated men who said, We have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes, and they came upon him and seized him and brought him before the council. And they set up false witnesses who said, This man never ceases to speak words against the holy place and the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and will change the customs that Moses delivered to us. And gazing at him, all who sat in the council saw that his face was like the face of an angel. I have two main points I I want to speak to you about this morning from this passage. First, in Acts 6, I I see that um, from this story we see the importance of guarding the unity of the church. That it is essential that we learn to guard the unity of the church. And then then also that uh, later we'll get to be prepared for persecution. Those are my two main points this morning. But guard the unity of a church. Uh, here, right here in Acts 6, 1, we see that uh, uh, it says, in the, these days when the disciples were increasing in numbers, those who were coming to the church, Christians in their day, they, uh, they weren't called Christians yet, uh, and they were just called disciples of Christ. And oftentimes today we think of Christian and disciple, like two different, like a disciple is like a really dedicated Christian, but according to the New Testament, a disciple is a follower of Christ. If you're a Christian, you're a disciple, that you should be following Christ and learning from him and not distinguishing the difference between them, but um, coming along and following his teachings. But they're increasing in number, and what happens as any uh, organization or institution, as more people come into it, uh, more personalities um, more struggles uh, manifest themselves, and, and the early church uh, is no exception. You know, sometimes we look back into um, the early church and we compare it to the church today, and we'll, we'll make the early church seem like it was perfect, that there was no real sin that was going on in there, and that, that if we could just be just like them, then that'd be great. And there are some really good things that when we go back to Acts 2 and Acts 4 and we read some of the things that the early church was doing and taking care of each other, we see there's some great, amazing things that we should continue in those same patterns. But the truth is, is that the church is full of a bunch of sinners. When they receive Jesus Christ, they are forgiven, but they still have sins and they still have their own preferences and their own struggles. And so coming into any uh, church, there's always the potential for uh, confrontation, conflict, for disunity. And that's something why it's so important we learn to guard for that, to, to watch out for it. It's, and the, the specific complaint came that the Hellenists, those were the Greek-speaking Jews. So here, early church, at this point in time, the church is comprised of Jewish believers, those Jewish people who placed their faith and trust in Jesus Christ as the Messiah or following after him. But you have two groups of Jews in the early church. You have the Hellenists or the Greek-speaking Jews who, when they were dispersed all throughout uh, Asia Minor, had grown up in Greek-speaking lands. And then they come, came back to Jerusalem and they established synagogues and, uh, that according to the language that they spoke. And so later on down um, in the second half of the passage where it says uh, the synagogue of the freedmen and of the Cyrenians and the Alexandrians and, and Cilicia and, and Asia, when it talks about these, these are places that the Greek-speaking Jews had come back from and established themselves in Jerusalem. And, uh, and, and so they were uh, following 
the law, the, the Jewish customs, but they're saying according to their language groups. And the Hebrews were those uh, who grew up in Jerusalem, spoke, most likely spoke Aramaic and, and followed the, the traditions that had been passed down for generations. And so there was a, um, in the culture of the day, Amongst the Jews, there was a division where the Hebrew-speaking Jews would look at the Hellenists and, and, and look down on them, condescend on them for, for compromising, for, for allowing uh, just uh, the influence of the other cultures into their lives. And so there, when it came to the early church and people from the Hellenist sect and those from the Hebrews who come to Christ, there was still this carryover of um, not quite looking at everybody as equal and, and facing the situation. So the Hellenist says in verse 1, uh, the complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. At the time when, uh, when uh, the woman would lose her husband, she was left to family or, or to fend for herself oftentimes, and the, the early church would take care of the widows. And, uh, and it began to... Um, as the church grew, there became more and more widows for them to take care of, and we were needing to, on a daily, uh, uh, a daily occurrence, had to take care of these these widows, and um, and the Hellenist ones, the Greek-speaking widows, were getting left out or neglected. And as we think about this, that it is easy for sometimes our own personal preferences, our struggles, to uh, our preconceived notions, to uh, to take a place in our life and our thinking in an inappropriate way. And we may not even realize it. We might be blinded to the fact of, well, wait, I'm doing a lot of really good things. I'm serving a lot of people. I'm doing what God's called me to. And I haven't even realized that I'm kind of neglecting a, very, a, a group of people or someone who, who is in need of, of that. And so here, though we don't want to encourage a complaining spirit, but sometimes it has to be brought to the attention that, hey, you're, you're missing the point. You're missing a whole group of people here, and we need to do something about it. And so when they, uh, when they complained against this discrimination, it brought to the attention of the apostles that, that we need to do something about this. And a new ministry is established. And, and I, I like to define ministry as uh, seeing a need and, and then meeting that need. So if you see someone in need and you have the capabilities and the opportunity to meet that need and you meet that need, you are ministering to that person. And here we see that the widows were desperately in need. And in the, in the Bible, we see that God has a he has a, a fondness and a heart for the widows and the, the helpless and, and those who are struggling. In Psalm 68, 5, uh, God is called the father of the fatherless and the protector of widows is God in his holy habitation. And, uh, he, uh, and in several other places, it talks about how he cares after and looks after. Uh, James, the brother of Christ, wrote in James chapter 1, 27, religion that is pure and undefiled before God, the father, is this to visit orphans and widows in their affliction, and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Uh, it was very likely that James could have been there present in this conflict and saw the importance of, hey, we do need to take care of those who, who are needy and, and to be a part of that. And, and here, when it says religion that is pure and undefiled before God, uh, he's talking about the expression of our faith, the way we live out our faith in a, in a pure, undefiled way is to take care of those who can't, t- can't help themselves, those who, who can't give back to us, those who we have, uh, have much to give. And also then in 1 Corinthians 12, 26, we're reminded this about the body of Christ. If one member suffers, all suffer together. So when we, see the, when we look out into our congregation, into our community, um, 
are we looking with eyes to see needs? Are we, are we available and to help others? And so I just want to challenge you with those questions. Are you aware of the needs of those around you? And are you looking to, to meet those needs? I think if we're going to look at Acts chapter 6-1 and see how a need was brought to attention, that, hey, there might be something that I'm just completely oblivious to, and praying that God gives me eyes to see and that ears to hear and to be available to those who are helping. Because each of us then are gifted to to help when, when the conflict strikes the church. Which leads to the next point, that we need uh, teamwork. The, in the church, there is a desperate need for teamwork, that we, we can't do it alone. Um, as, as I was uh, thinking of this part of the passage, I, I just remembered not too long ago, it was great, where the Heat lost to the Spurs in the NBA championship. And it was amazing to look at the Spurs, who are an older team, who had to rely heavily on teamwork, uh, passing the ball. Like, it was just a great display of good basketball over this younger, talented, superstar-laden Heat team. And, um, and to see the attitudes of a guy who's a future Hall of Famer in Ginobili was said to go out and, and go in, and before he got to check in, the coach called him back, and he went and he sat back down and he didn't complain at all because their team puts team before self. And they had this selfless idea of the teamwork is so important in this. And as we then begin to look here in, in verses 2 to 6, that teamwork is necessary for the ministry of the church. And it said that the 12 apostles summoned the full members of the disciples and said, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Holy Spirit, and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Phil, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. Okay, so they chose these seven guys. But what we see here is that the twelve apostles, these are the men who spent time with Jesus Christ, were trained and learned, and had uh, gone through... Um, the highs and lows of, of what it meant to, to walk with Christ. And now after Pentecost being filled with the Spirit, we see a drastic change in who these men were, and they go out to lead and to teach and to start the church. And, uh, and as this need is, is made evident, we have, they could have gone in a couple, couple different ways. And, and I see that um, one thing oftentimes I do when things are brought to my attention is I just like to do whatever I can. And I, I, and I, I just, oh, I'll, yes, I'll do that. Yes, I'll do that. Yes, I'll do that. And, and sometimes I just get too much stuff that I'm doing, and, cause, and I have to, then I'm like at that place where I'm forced then to invite people in. And uh, you ha- I need people to help with that. And, and I think there's a real possibility that the apostles at this time were doing a lot of the work to, to serve others, but this was becoming a daily occurrence and more and more people were needing it. And they, they recognized that God had called them to plant the church through the preaching of the word and the training up and discipling and, and the prayer of the ministry. And so, so the disciples called all the people together, all the Christians, and said, hey, we need to do something about this. And you need to look into our congregation and see those who uh, are of good reputation, those who uh, believe in Jesus Christ and are filled with the Spirit that can serve and take care of these things. And, uh, and, and it's just this great opportunity to, to, to display teamwork. And so going back to my lack of musical ability, it would be a really bad thing for this church if I was the one who tried to get up here and lead with the guitar and sing. 
uh, that would just be bad. And we have gifted people who, who come up here every week faithfully serving with their musical talents. Uh, and we, we should praise God that they're doing it. And those of us who aren't gifted in it, who would love to be able to do that, but we would make a mess of it if we did, um, should celebrate those things. And there, there's no part of the ministry that is more important or more significant than others. All gifts are so vitally important that we come together as a team. Uh, it's not a, a one-person show. It's a, it's a team where the Holy Spirit is working through the community of the church. So learning to delegate according to giftedness and, uh, and, and recognizing that there's a, a diversity of gifts and talents. Andy Stanley said uh, that we should only do what only you can do. He talks about uh, how we oftentimes spend 80% on, of our time on things that we don't do well because it just, and it takes a ton of energy for us to do, and only 20% on the things that we're naturally or spiritually gifted at, and how we should then learn to flip that around and say, wait a second, God has gifted me in this way, and that's where I need to employ myself, and I need to raise up people who, employ, who can employ their gifts that God has raised them up. And so instead of saying, I have to do everything, I need to help others see where they're gifted at. And so we need to identify what gifts we have and pursue it and identify what others are gifted in and encourage them and empower them. Galatians 5.22 talks about uh, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. These are things that each of us as believers should begin to develop. And when it says that uh, these men that they chose were of good repute, of good reputation, reputation, they were filled with the Spirit, meaning that they were displaying the fruit of the Spirit. They're displaying that, that the Holy Spirit was alive and active in their lives and that they were growing and developing. But then it goes beyond uh, the fruit of the Spirit into the specific gifts that they were given. And if you have your Bible, I'd like to follow along in uh, 1 Corinthians 12. We're going to look at a few verses here about some of the, the giftings. Um, uh, it's on page 959 in the Blue Bible provided. And just read a few verses here on, um, on, on the importance of the teamwork and the importance of all gifts. Verse 1, uh, sorry, verse 4. Now there are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all and everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good, and then jumping down to verse 11, it says, All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. And I think when it comes to us identifying our gifts and understanding that the Holy Spirit has given each of us gifts. When, he, when we receive Christ and he indwells us, he, uh, he gifts us for ministry within the, the body of Christ. And, it's, and he gives to us uh, individually as he wills, that he desired for you specifically to have a gift for the common good of the church to use. And though uh, each of us has a variety of gifts, doesn't, it, because it is by the same Lord, by the same Spirit, demonstrates that each gift is vitally important for the church. And now if we just flip over uh, to Ephesians chapter 4 on page 977. Starting in verse 11, I, I think it's just uh, important to see that when, the, when Christ gave the Holy Spirit to the church, he did it for the purpose of us to understand our gifts, to utilize our gifts for the benefit of 
uh, the body and for the advancement of the gospel. Starting in verse 11. And he, Jesus, gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to measure... Uh, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So God gave the apostles, the, the, the disciples, the, the teachers, the evangelists, the shepherds for the purpose to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. So back in Acts 6 when they said, it is good for us to uh, reserve ourselves for prayer and the ministry of the word and to appoint others to serve the tables, to take care of the widows. It was saying, I, we recognize that God has given us the gifts to train up, to build up. And, uh, and equip the saints for the work of the ministry, and now we need to employ and empower those who have those gifts to do that ministry itself. And as we see that coming together, one, working together, using our gifts together, we begin to understand Christ, the fullness of the love of Christ in the body of Christ, and the, the church builds itself up and gets healthier and healthier because we are each participating in the ministry that God has called us to. D.L. Moody uh, said this, he, he would say that it's better to, uh, to put 10 men to work than to try to do the work of 10 men. And oftentimes, uh, that's a quote I have to remind myself, but because um, there are, it, sometimes it's like, if you want something done, it's just easier to get it done yourself uh, mentality. And that's, uh, I just like to work hard, get it done. And, and it takes a little bit of time to help somebody else know how to do what you do. But after you train them up how to do it, then all of a sudden it gets easier and more things happen because you're inviting more people into it. So there's a few things I want you to think about coming through this section of, of scriptures. One, um, you, I would encourage you that you should be praying for your pastors and teachers, your spiritual leaders, that they recognize the importance of, you know, for me, like I told you, this is a fault of mine, that we recognize the importance of um, employing and delegating ministries to other people so that we can focus on prayer and the, and the ministry of the word. That it is important that we learn how to say, I, I need to have a single focus so I can train others how to understand the word of God and live out the word of God uh, and, uh, and not get distracted in a, a lot of other things. That doesn't mean that we don't do any other things, but I think that in, this, in Acts chapter 6, the, the ministry to the, the widows, it was a daily occurrence that was taking time, more and more and more time and was becoming because more and more numbers were coming in. And so, um, but making sure that our, our spiritual leaders are staying focused on the ministry God has called them to and relying on the Holy Spirit and not on their own power to do their work. Um, and then, what is your spiritual gift? Have you ever pursued to find out what is your spiritual gift, identifying that, seek it out and use it um, for the glory of God and for the betterment of the body? I think in, in this we see that you need to live an obedient life and grow in faith. Um, when it looks at these seven men that were called, uh, it talks about how they were of good reputation and that they were full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. And, and so I just have this question for you. When needs arise, would others think of you as one who is qualified to help? Are you living in such a way in obedience to Jesus Christ 
that when a need arises, people say, this person would be the person that should help with that. Um, and I think that's the call for all of us, that learning from, from these men uh, that were appointed to, to look over these widows, they lived in such a way that, that others evidently saw these men would be the right people for this ministry. And, and what we then, then begin to see next, uh, we'll be introduced to Stephen and, um, and then Philip in a, in a few weeks. But as we look at these men, we see that they were serving tables, uh, but they, they didn't look at their, their ministry as, as less than the apostles or less than anybody else. But they were out uh, on the front lines of ministry and preaching and teaching the word of God. And because all, all gifts are, are equally important and, and, and given by the Spirit for us to, to use for his glory. Which then, as we, um, when conflicts arise and we, we see the need for teamwork to work through the conflict, uh, that we see the results of when the church triumphs over conflict. Because I mean, conflict is a very real thing, it's going to hit at some point in time, but instead of looking at it in a way that divides, we look at a way that unites us and says, hey, let's work through this together. And uh, verse 7 says, And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. This is just awesome because how many times do we see conflict arise, churches split, uh, and then uh, years go by before the, the gospel ministry begins to resurface and grow and grow. But these apostles were, were um, led by the Holy Spirit to make their wise decision to bring other people into this, to, to make sure the needs are being met. And through that, the testimony of uh, the Holy Spirit the, of what Jesus Christ was doing grew and grew, and it then resulted in people coming to faith, joining the church, and even then it says that many of the priests became obedient to the faith, uh, which, is, which is so important. And as we begin to be people of the word, we see um, uh, what Isaiah fifty five eleven says. It says, So shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish what I... Uh, that which I purpose, and I shall succeed in the things for which I sent it. You know, uh, we, when we live out the word of God and we proclaim the word of God, it is uh, effective, it works, and it changes hearts. As uh, Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. The word of God is alive, it's active, it is, it is moving and changing. As Paul said, that he's not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to all who believe. And it's, it is living out and proclaiming the gospel that we see the church triumphing over conflict uh, in this world. And of course, Jesus said in John thirteen thirty five, they shall know you are my disciples by your love for the brothers. It is when we come together as a church and we learn how to work through the issues together, we guard that, we display the love of Christ in such a way that is attractive to the world because we are um, displaying that for his glory. <clears throat> so we need to guard the unity of church. And we see that in Acts 6.1 of how when a complaint came up, they dealt with it in such a way that brought more people into the work of the ministry and empowered them to do that work. And as they, they came together to work, it, it impacted the, the church and more and more people came into it. But just because God is doing great things and moving and growing the church doesn't mean it's easy. So the next point is prepare for persecution in Acts uh, 6, 8 through 15. And again, we see a, a, um, the type of man Stephen was. It says, and Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great uh, wonders and signs among the people. 
And then some of those who belonged to the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called. In the, and, and it goes through the list again. I read it a couple times. But here's what's happening. is As Stephen begins to proclaim, Stephen is one of the um, Hellenist Jews who was appointed as uh, one of the, the servants here to take care of the widows was preaching and teaching, but these uh, Hellenist Jews had come again from all over Asia Minor back to Jerusalem and were trying to like earn the respect of the Hebrews and set up their own synagogues. And those who were of the freedmen were those who's, who either they were slaves and were set free or their parents were slaves and set free. And so they were celebrating in their free, um, being free as well as these other uh, synagogues were so, um, they wanted to please and be a part of the, the regular Jewish culture, and all of a sudden one of theirs begins to preach the gospel that says Jesus Christ, what he did on the cross was sufficient for our sins, that no sacrifice is needed. We don't need to do the ritual laws. We don't need to go to the temple and sacrifice. We need to place our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And as he begins to proclaim the gospel, they get mad at him because you're going you're gonna to mess up what we've got started going here. And, and so they begin, it says, they, in verse 11, they secretly instigated men uh, to, to attack him. And then in verse 12, they stirred up people uh, uh, and the elders and scribes against him. And then in verse 13, they set up false witnesses. We begin to see the very same pattern amongst the Hellenist Jews here that the, the Hebrew Jews in the synagogue did right, uh, just not too, much, uh, not, not too long ago when they did it against Jesus Christ. They, they began to attack him. They didn't like what he was saying. And they said, um, we, we learned what he was saying, that, um, that he was, uh, they said, attacking Moses and, saying, and changing the customs. And, uh, and, and in truth, when, when we place our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, we see that Jesus Christ is the propitiation for our sins, the satisfaction of God's wrath. Once and for all, he died for our sins. That when we place our faith and trust in him, we no longer have to go through the, the, the sacrificial system. And, uh, and the truth about the gospel is, is when we live out the gospel and we proclaim the gospel, that the gospel is a stumbling block. It, it is an offense, and people don't like to hear that. We are naturally wired and desired to work our way to God. We want to prove that we are worth, uh, worth acceptance. We, we want to earn our right. And, and the thing is, is, about the gospel is it's, it's given by the free grace of God. You can't earn it. You don't deserve it. But you just have to receive the gift that Jesus offers. And, and when, we, when we preach it, and the way that God presents it in the Bible, it brings people to a point of decision. They're either going to accept it or reject it and, or, and get angry at that. And so when we live this out, we should be prepared for persecution. Uh, in John 15, Jesus uh, says in verse 20, he says, Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his, his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. So the very real truth is Jesus was persecuted and gave his life for the many. So those who place their faith in him would uh, find forgiveness of sins, reconciliation with the Father. Um, but he did say this, if you follow me, you will be persecuted. Peter tells us in uh, 1 Peter 4.12, says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. When trials and struggles and uh, persecution comes, don't, don't be surprised by that. Jesus said they're going to come. And when they're, don't get caught off guard, but expect them. Uh, it is something that God planned for you uh, for um, 
our test to prove our faith and to bring glory to him. In verse 19 it says, Therefore let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. And I think that's, that's kind of, verse 19 is really what, what we see um, here, the last part we hear about Stephen this week. And it says, When they gazed at him, all who sat in council saw that his face was like the face of an angel. In this trial, in this um, persecution, he had faith and trust in his faithful cr- uh, creator that, that what God is going to do in this, I'm going to trust him no matter what. <clears throat> and it's, it reminds me of the Daniel's friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, when, the, when uh, the king said, bow down, and they said, we will not bow down. He says, if you don't bow down, I'm going to throw you in the fiery furnace. And they said to him, we know that if you throw us in the fiery furnace, that our God is able to save us. And if he doesn't, we still will not bow down. They had a faith in their God, in their creator, that said, no matter what, we are going to stand firm and trust and have faith in him. And that's, that's the, the, the exhortation to us that when persecution, when trials, when suffering comes, that we hold fast, that we remain faithful in those times. Not all of us will, will suffer the same lot. Some will suffer in very big ways, and some will not. Um, our brothers and sisters throughout the world and uh, there's underground church and the persecuted church that are suffering uh, in ways just like some of them in the early church did. And we, many of us, go throughout our lives only fearing that my friend might not like what I have to say or they might not uh, want me to be their friend anymore. Uh, and we get more of like an emotional suffering when people around the world are, are, are just, uh, you know, their very lives are dependent upon God. And so we need to recognize that... Um, we can't, we can't assume what level of suffering we're going to get, but when suffering comes, we need to be faithful. Um, <clears throat> you should expect persecution when you're serving God, when you are willing to do what God has called you to do, um, that we have a very real enemy who wants to distract you and, and mess things up, and he's going to bring people and things into your life to cause persecutions. So remember to, to remain faithful and trust God that he is working through the, uh, the trial. And then also... Um, just trying to lastly kind of think of, am I living my life in such a way uh, that it's evident that I am a follower of Jesus Christ that essentially is inviting the, the persecution of others because my faith is so evident? Matthew five sixteen says, Let your light so shine before men that they might see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Are people able to see by our lives that God is, God is working and changing? In our in a handout, D.L. Moody's quote there says, where one person reads the Bible, a hundred people read you and me. Like, what are we saying with our lives? And are, are our lives backing up what we're proclaiming with our lips? It's not one or the other that we are called to live in obedience and follow Christ, and we are called to proclaim the message of the gospel, no matter what our gifts are. Some are gifted in one way and some are gifted in others, but we have the same spirit, the same Lord, and we're on the same team. And so it's called for us to guard the unity of church, be prepared for persecution, and then watch as the Holy Spirit does a mighty work and brings people into his church. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you so much that you have um, given us your word that proclaims to us who you are and what you're doing and how we get to participate in the ministry that you have for us. Lord, I, I do thank you uh, that, that we can gather freely um, here in America, in churches, and to worship openly, Lord, but we do want to pray for our brothers and sisters around the world who are being persecuted even now, Lord. Lord, we pray that your spirit would would, uh, give them sustaining strength and, and faithfulness, Lord, and Lord, that we would remember them and pray for them. Lord, 
I pray for us today, Lord, that even, um, even as we recognize that we, we, all of us are sinners and have our own prejudices and preferences, Lord, that we would learn to have eyes to see the needs of others, Lord, that we would have an awareness of those around us and that we would be willing to serve those, Lord, that we would seek out our spiritual gifts, uh, Lord, and employ those for your glory, for the betterment of the body and the spreading of the gospel. Lord, we do uh, pray today that, uh, that your name would be honored by all that we do and say in Jesus' name. Amen.